Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben from the Lean Blog. Thanks for joining me today on Lean Podcast, episode number 10. It's November 21st, 2006, and my guest today, once again, is Jamie Flinchbaugh of the Lean Learning Center. Our topic today is going to be uh, how to educate your upper management and leadership about lean. Uh, our question comes courtesy of a podcast listener, Bruce in Akron, Ohio, who sent his question in via the Skype phone service. And I would certainly encourage other people to do the same. If you've got a question, uh, there's information about how to contact me on the website, leanpodcast.org. Well, Jamie, thanks again for joining us and coming back to the podcast today. Thank you. Um, our topic today, we're going to um, talk about a topic brought up by a podcast listener and blog reader, Bruce, from Akron, Ohio. He says he's a big fan of the podcast. And one challenge we always face is educating the organization and leadership. They don't always understand what they're asking us to do. They might think lean is about reducing headcount or that it's just 5S maybe. He's interested in what Jamie thinks about all that. So Jamie, that's a good question from Bruce. What are your first impressions there or first things you would say about how to educate leadership about lean? Well, I think there's a, there's two two points before we get in, into the how. Um, and this isn't an uncommon question, but I think there's there's two sort of context pieces that are important to keep in mind. One, and this was not uh, necessarily conveyed in the question itself, but uh, many times when the question is uh, is being asked, the, the whole spirit of it is is that those those knuckleheads in the executive suite don't get it, and um, you know they're they're I'll exaggerate a little bit, but only a little. It's they're they're dumb or ignorant or incompetent, but and it's, it's generally just not true. I'm sure that you know, maybe five percent, maybe ten percent, but that's that's not exactly the problem. Uh, it's not that those knuckleheads in the executive suite don't get it. Um, and so this is, I know you've blogged about this in the past, this is kind of the uh, Ken stem from the whole boss hater mentality. Yeah. Is, you know, we, we, we don't understand necessarily what our bosses do, whether it's one level above or five levels above. And the further away, the less we understand about what that job really entails. And I was going to just say and real so, quick, you know, that, that, that phrase boss hater, it's from a, I've blogged about that. I think, I don't know if Jack Welch from uh, GE coined that phrase, but I know it's right. something he's used in uh, some columns where, you know, if you if you criticize your bosses as, uh, you know, I guess generally I've criticized bosses on the blog, then therefore I, I guess, get lumped into this boss hater category where, you know, instead of having a sort of legitimate questions or criticism, you know, I'm just an irrational person who can't handle authority. I think it's Jack Welch's take on that. Well, and, and as Jack writes about it, he makes it a fairly binary statement as you either are or aren't, and that's not really <laughs> true yeah. anyway. So I think the, the key point is is regardless, even if it's true, even if your boss or the executive is, is a knucklehead, uh, it's unproductive. If, if your job, if your concern is to get the folks to understand it better, uh, treating them as if they're, uh, they, they can't get it is not a productive way to sure. get to that outcome. So what, even if you're right, you're unproductive. And, and, and to me, I should, you should care more about the outcome than whether or not you're yeah. right. And is that more of just a, a general statement? I, I didn't sense a whole lot of that in Bruce's question, at least in 
and and tell. No, I, did, okay. I didn't either. Yeah. So I, I think, but it but it very often is is the comment is you know I can't move lean forward because my my executive team isn't you know doesn't have a yeah. clue. It, and I get you know we get that question very yeah. often. It may be so. true. It may be an excuse or you know some finger pointing when when a statement right. like that's made. And then the other, the other piece of context, and I think this is important, because if you read a book on Lean, you will hear numerous times about how it has to start with a CEO or it has to, uh, how companies have started with a CEO and the executives have to lead it, has to be top down. And that's, that's not true either. Um, now if you want to have a company become Toyota, there's no question that you need the executives not only to understand it, but to lead it. Yeah. There's, that's without question. But very, very few, uh, just, you know, I just was talking with a company yesterday that this was the case, that it was true, but very, very few companies start with a CEO standing on a mountaintop declaring a lean journey and everyone follows up the mountain. That's very rare. Uh, and, and even if you look at Toyota, you, know, you could argue it didn't, didn't even start there. Um, and so the, the whole idea that people can't move forward um, because their executives don't understand or support lean is, is really a myth. Uh, you know, I think the, the idea that you, to become the kind of company you want to become, you absolutely have to mm-hmm. get there. You have to work towards that goal. But to think that it's stopping you from making any progress or that it has to be that way, that's because a myth. Looking back to Toyota, I mean, Ono was, was, was somewhat squarely in the upper middle of the organization. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and even when he started, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was, he was, uh, yeah, he w- was not, Sitting at the executive uh, uh, suite uh, with the next next door to the CEO, he was in the machine right. shops, and so that's that's where you know, despite the con- contributions which were major from the Toyota family, you know, if if Ono was one of the major pieces of that, it, it didn't start in the executive right. suite, and he never got to the executive suite. But that's a, a I guess a different discussion. But when you talk about making lean progress, um, you know, not being necessary to have top management, I guess. Is it what you're saying that you can still do an awful lot to uh, reduce waste and, and improve operations and improve your culture, at, you know, whatever span of control you have, um, just by working on lean on your own, even without that top management support, you know, short of okay. exactly. And I remember one, you know, five years ago now, we had one of our first classes at the Lean Learning Center, and we had two uh, supervisors from a very large industrial company. Uh, that made uh, made heavy equipment, and and they said, you know, we can't change this company. We're two supervisors. I said, well, you guys work next to each other. You're customer and supplier. If the two of you work together, you can do a better job at doing your work. And that's not going to make your company a world class enterprise. But you know what? That's that's your span of control. That's what you can do something about. So don't complain. Just get mm-hmm. get to work. Get going. But do you see instances where, um, you know, people at um, different management levels or engineering levels within an organization will sort of make a pitch upward of, you know, trying to um, get their, their executive leadership to, to take seminars, um, you know, take, to, to take classes on a lean learning center, um, does some things that are somewhat more targeted towards, um, towards executives? Is that? Is that, is that the case? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, so, so very often once the journey gets going, people are making pitches upwards um, to uh, to try and get folks uh, to, to better understand. And I think there's 
there's, there's three pieces of advice I'd, I'd offer along those lines. Um, the first is to connect lean to the business strategy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, people think it's a complaint to say, you know, the executives only care about the results. Well, yeah, that's what they're paid to uh, pay attention to. Um, and, and so, yeah, they, they also need to pay attention to the how if they're effective and good at what they're doing. But in any case, they, they, they are there to run the business. They're there to drive the right. business. And if you don't connect lean to the business needs, uh, then it's, it's really not going to uh, appeal very well to, to your audience. And honestly, I, I ask this question to lots of audiences. You know, why, does your, why do companies begin the lean journey? And I get lots of great answers. Reduce waste, reduce costs, improve quality, improve profits, blah, blah, blah. However, if you actually look at the results, if you actually look at why companies begin lean, the number one reason is that everyone else hmm. is. That's, that's the reason. They're, they're beginning it because everyone else is doing it, so we might as well do it yeah. too. And so... You know, once they once they do begin, they get past that and focus on a, a more valid why. But if you don't connect it to the business results, it's it's uh, um, then it's it's just a, a nice uh, personal agenda. Yeah. And, it doesn't and, go and you know, to, to Bruce's question, you know, I, I don't know anything about you know the the environment or uh, you know the, the company where where he's working, but. Um, you know, so how, how do we get leadership to know that it's more than than five S? And you know, I, I could see a, a path at a company where if you know a lean initiative has started and the most visible change or improvement that you see is you know a more organized shop floor, which if if done properly should reduce waste and should lead to a lot of other benefits. But if you know the you know the the, the first impression that upper management gets. Um, is, is that 5S program? I could see them not getting engaged with that and saying, "Okay, well, fine. That's that's a, a you know a little detail about how the factory runs, and you know that might be good for them, but you know I just I don't see the impact. That's not something that um, you know I'm going to talk about with the board or you know. Um, so I, I could see maybe where the executives, if they get an isolated view like that, to say, you know. That's a shop floor thing where if you've done some lean improvement where, let's say, you, you've reconfigured flow and you're able to bring in the CEO and say, you know, we're doing lean. We've cut cycle time by 70% and we're able to ship faster to our customer. Well, maybe even the cycle time wouldn't resonate with um, with the CEO. But you know, if there's some real benefits where we've increased um, revenue because we can ship faster to customer, it seems like something like that would be more likely to resonate with the executives because it's it's impacting the business at a, a level that they might uh, be more attuned to. Absolutely, and that's that is um, you know, I think one of the one of the ideas of, of ex- educating them is people will ask them to then help support their efforts on the floor, which isn't what their job is necessarily to do. Their job is to make lots of decisions and, and help drive the business, and so. I, I don't care whether 5S is good or not, but putting a, a label around my staple <laughs> on the desk isn't going to change the bottom right. line. And, you know, it might be a nice thing to do, and I might encourage executives to do that at, in order to be a role model, but that has nothing to do with their job or their performance. And so, yeah, all, all the all the lean assessments out there that focus on, okay, how well are you doing 5S, right. change over, you know, changeover reduction and things like that, or... Um, or training that focuses on, okay, here's how we're going to manufacture better. That's fine, but that's that's just tools. And so we really focus, you know, on principles. And 
particularly in the executive suite, that's where principles become much more important. So if, and we, we talk about principles a lot in, in the Hitchhiker's Guide mm-hmm. to Lean. In fact, the whole first chapter is, is dedicated to that. But, but the idea is, if, if I'm doing 5S, okay, that's great. I don't have anything against that. But the executives need to know very little. They need to know why and what good looks like. That's yeah. it. Um, but if I'm talking about the culture that I'm trying to drive, they actually have to understand it better mm-hmm. than other people in the organization because they're the ones really establishing the culture. Yeah. Their behaviors, their words, etc. So we, we kind of have a little formula that we use where we say that the, the principles that you have, your beliefs, drive your behaviors. Your behaviors drive your yeah. actions. Your actions drive the results. So if you want to get different results sustainably, day after day, year after year, you need to change the principles. And so... To me, the executives need to spend more time learning principles, mm-hmm. less time learning tools, and the further down the organization it might be the other yeah. way around. So let's say, you know, if, um, and again, I'm, I'm creating kind of a hypothetical company around uh, Bruce's question, but let's say, you know, if it's a, a small enough company where, you know, I imagine Bruce is being a, a lean leader, you know, within that organization. He's driving change. Um, you know, might be the local expert, if you will, in, in, in lean. Let's say he has a chance to to sit down, you know, 20 minutes with the uh, the president of the company or somebody at that equivalent type of level. Um, now, I would agree with you that he would, he would probably be better served spending time talking principles. Um, whether, you know, principles of the Hitchhiker's Guide or a lot of times people like to use kind of the, the real high-level principles from um, the lean thinking framework or, you know, some of the principles from the Toyota way, um, that it might be good to talk about those principles and, and then bring it back to the context of, well, how do those principles apply here? Because, you know, I like what you're saying, Jamie, about, you know, not just doing – a bunch of lean tools because other people are doing it. You know, if everyone else is doing 5S, we have to do 5S. That really seems like you're missing a lot of the potential impact of lean if, if that's the approach. Copying someone else instead of figuring out, you know, what do we really need to do to impact our business with, with these principles? And you have to, along those lines, fit it into the current needs of the business. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you're you know, two of our clients, for example, very different ends of the spectrum, one is in bankruptcy, and, you know, we're, we're there to try and help them get out of bankruptcy and fix the, you know, stop the bleeding, yeah. get things fixed. And another one is has record profits. Hmm. Um, well, your story, your compelling reason to begin lean is a very different compelling reason in either one of those situations. Sure. And, and those, those, you know, those, uh, those compelling reasons are, you know, have to fit in the context that people have. You can't talk to somebody about, uh, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a lean culture if you've got, you know, three months to, to live in the <laughs> right. company. So you've got to right. fit it into the context of what's going on. And, and I think, you know, it, it, in addition to those, you know, that aspect is, um, you know, you have to understand the, the, the current state of not just the, the, the organization, but also the individual. And you know, people think that, you know, for us, we all have a what's in it for me, but the executives only care about the business results. But the, the executives care about what's in it for them, too. And one of the, um, one of the reasons that I, you know, I, I kind of can say it many different ways, but I, I used to say it for some of my managers, you know, wouldn't you like to go home at 5 uh, feeling like you got something done uh, instead of going home at 7 feeling like you've accomplished yeah. nothing? Um, and, you know, I don't care how much you care about the business results. You also care about how you do your work and how you get those results personally. And, and I think, uh, 
I think lean has as much to do with uh, changing the way people do their work and how they how much fulfillment they mm-hmm. get out of it as well as the results yeah. itself. So let, let's go into one other topic here. You know, there, there's another part of the question that brought up the issue of, of layoffs. Um, how, what kind? How can you avoid some of the uh, the conflict that comes up where you know you're, you're working on lean, um, you're you're reducing a lot of waste, and you know, let's say you find out you you don't need as many employees for your current. Um, you know, production volume or, or sales volume. You know, I think a lot of people would recommend. You know, you need to try to grow the business. Um, you know, create opportunities for you know for growth to to utilize people in space that that you don't need anymore. But a lot of times, um, you know, companies will take the the, the short term route of saying, well, great, I can lay off those people and take a cost savings. Um, you know, been written about and talked about a lot how that will you know undermine. Um, any positive feelings toward lean or you know the continuous improvement mindset? Um, what, what are your what are your thoughts on on that whole topic in, in general, Jamie? Well, the, the first thing I'd say is that that lean should not equal layoffs. Waste equals layoffs. Um, if you're a wasteful company, you have no choice left but to to do layoffs. Yeah. That's that's the only course of action you have left in your bag of tricks, and so. Wasteful companies have to resort to layoffs just to survive. So lean doesn't equal layoffs. Waste equals layoffs. Um, The more wasteful you are, the more likely you're going to end up there. Um, I think a key thing to understand, first of all, is that there are economics that drive things. It's very easy to say, well, grow your business. Well, everybody's trying to grow your business. That's not (laughs) – that goes without saying. If if you aren't already trying to do that, you may not be doing your job. So – that's not always possible. There's mark, you know, there's markets, there's conditions, there's other things going on, and you don't always have that possibility right in front yeah. of you. Long term, yeah, maybe, but um, sometimes the economics change, and if your market, the entire marketplace that you sell into is cut in half, uh, even if you're do twice as well, you're 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 still going to be hurt. So um, you have to separate the economics from from lean. Right. One of the things that I'd I recommend is that when the economics do change and you do have to do layoffs, and that's that's a real thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. happens. I'd rather have a company layoff ten percent than one hundred percent. Is is do that first. Don't trickle it along. Don't keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Take the yeah. hit. Be be upfront about it. Be very clear. Educate people on the, edu- on the on the economics. And if you've been doing it for years, if you've been educating people on the financials of the business all along. It would be much easier if you wait till now to educate people. Once you need it, then it's, they're not going to believe you. But you still have yeah. to do it. Um, then, now that you've pulled the, pulled the people out of the organization, then go about rebuilding from there. Um, if you are in that situation and you're you're trickling along and you're getting more productive, then you know find some other other things to do with folks, um, and and you know plan very carefully around things like attrition mm-hmm. rates and so on. Very often, you know, people might not be doing the same job, but they will be doing, you know, a job. But that means you have to invest in skills. You have to give people new skills to do new right. jobs. You have to put new infrastructure in place to support things. Uh, we've seen many companies that have built um, sort of deep dive problem solving teams. When things really hit the fan, they jump in, and these are you know, machinists and and operators and and material handling folks and all sorts of folks that come together as a team and. And they are 
that's their only job. That is their full-time job. They're still hourly folks, but they run out and they solve mm-hmm. problems because sometimes you need a little more horsepower. Yeah. Well, um, I've met, I've seen very few plants where people, where a plant is getting everything done that they think they should be getting done. <laughs> right. And there's, and I, I see this a lot with uh, the stuff I do in my day job with uh, with hospitals, where we always we're, we're pretty upfront with the clients that you know you are going to free up. Um, some headcount, so let's go ahead and put a plan in place now. Um, and, and the one advantage we have in, in, in healthcare is that either you know volumes are growing, like you said, you know the hospitals having trouble enough getting things done with the current staffing. Um, but then we, you know you take waste away that you know there's always some other department within the hospital that has a, um, a desperate need for for skilled people. You know, put the plan together of you know which people would be willing to rotate um, into a different area. Um, you know, you've got a lot of retirements and, and attrition coming that you can plan around. You know, so we insist, you know, from the lean standpoint, uh, like like you're saying and, and recommending, you know, we don't want um, these lean improvements to uh, to directly uh, directly lead to those layoffs. Yeah, and, and in some environments like that, it's it's very easy. Uh, you know, I don't know many hospitals that are desperate to, to cut right. heads. Um, but that's also, you know, that, that is a big part of their, their financial statements, so they, they also need to be paying attention to that. But the real, the real cost driver of, uh, in a hospital is not, is not just the, the cash spending, but it's poor, poor quality. It's yeah. the cost of quality and, and people staying 10 days when they should be out in two and those kinds of problems, uh, as the real cost driver. Yeah. So you have to understand the business and every business needs a different plan based on what its conditions are. It's, it's attrition mm-hmm. rates, the, the growth rate of the business, the the skill levels of people. I can't uh, I can't take pilots and turn them into uh, flight attendants. <laughs> I can't take flight attendants and turn them into aircraft mechanics. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not uh, completely flexible, but I do need to do some retraining, give people new skills, help them move into new areas. Well, good. Well, Jamie, thanks for your your time today, and uh, you know, talking about the the topic here. I know it, it's hard to cover everything within just about 20 minutes or so, um, but I think we've done a good job of uh, at least touching on on some of the key points and the idea of you know educating leadership, leadership's role with uh, with lean manufacturing. Do you have any kind of concluding thoughts or uh, final thoughts to wrap it up? I think just the last the last thing is is the whole idea is understand the people that you're trying to convince, understand what's made them can be convinced of other things in the past. Look at their track record. If they learn from their peers, get to their peers. If they learn from other companies, show them other companies. If they learn if they uh, buy in because of results, well then show them results. So understand what people need to overcome their their anxiety, their questions, their fears, their concerns. And use that knowledge to move forward. Um, but I haven't met anyone yet that didn't have more room to go in their own work uh, before running into the, the fact they couldn't move any further because someone wasn't on board. So uh, at the end of the day, no one should be sitting still because someone else isn't bought in. Well, great. Well, Jamie, thanks again for joining us, and we'll hopefully, hopefully talk to you soon on a future podcast. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.